Amen. The deep, deep love of Jesus rolling over me like a mighty ocean. The love of Christ, the love of God, is the most powerful force in our universe. Now that sounds in some ways like a platitude. It's one of those things that we say, but there is a truth in that that is deeper and more real than almost anything else in this world. The love of God is a power and a force, a life-conquering, world-transforming power unlike anything else that we can understand or experience in this life. No greater love than the love of Christ. We're in John 15, verses 12 to 14. We backed up to touch ground that needs to be touched. John 15, starting in verse 12, hear the word of God. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone would lay down his life for his friends, and you are my friends, if you do what I command you. Father in heaven, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, God, hear our prayer. Come near to us this morning as we come to your word. We long to hear you speak. But more than that, we long to experience the power of love that is in Christ that is poured into our hearts by the power of your spirit. Would you come and write it upon our hearts in new ways and recapture us we might enter into the wave, that flood of your love that is pouring over the world. We ask and we pray in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. We live in a world that falls in and out of love every day. As fast as you fall into it, they're falling out of it. Something that comes and goes, rises and falls. But it's interesting as you read the scripture in 1 Corinthians when Paul in, the, in God's words, is describing love, among other things that he says, as he, as he, as he lists all the things that it, that it does, that it's patient and it's kind and it keeps no record of wrongs and it does all these things. And he ends this summarizing it with, love never fails. It doesn't end. It's never finished. But how can that be? Well, Love has to go to the next level. We cannot embrace and and soak in or take in the world's weak and sappy understanding of love. They've made it such a soft and weak thing. When it is not, Jesus, in verse 12, he, he takes love to the next level, doesn't he? He says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And he commands this, Greater love, no greater love is there than this, in the way that I've loved you and I'm about to love you and that I've always loved you. You know, this greater love that he commands into our lives. And I would say this greater love is real love. It's no other than to say the greater love is no one than this. It's, it's, this is the real love. This is the love of God. This is love as God intended it. It's not some extraordinary or separate thing over there. Or It's What love is, true love, biblical love, godly love, the love of God, the love of Christ. 
God commands it all the time. You know that is, Jesus is, is, is approached on, on everything that's said in the Old Testament. All the commands and all the things that are there. And he's asked, what are the two great, what is the greatest command? Jesus gives them two instead of one. And they're both commands to love. They're both calls to this greater love for God and for each other. And they're inseparable. The second is like unto it. You really can't take it away. Love the Lord God with all your heart. And when you do, you must and you will love your neighbor as yourself. No greater love. And it's not the first time in this discourse, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples and, you know, on the night that he is going to be betrayed and the 24 hours of his death and he has them together. And this is the second time back in John 13, verses 34 and 5, he commanded the same thing. This is my command, love each other. And then there in that passage, he said, and by this, the world will know that you're mine, that you're my disciples, that your love will be like my love. You'll look like me. You'll act like me. You will love like me with a greater love. It's such a greater love than, this, the, than the way the world is practicing and, and thinking of it that you would, it would actually be the core of your witness that you are different from the world in the way that you love like me with this greater, greater love. By this, the world will know. And so the scripture commands it. The New Testament commands it again and again. All the apostles pick up on it. I mean, this is not one of the New Testament commands. This is not one of the Bible commands. This is the command. Right? Jesus says, this, this is my commandment. And we know that, that this, you know, again, Paul does it, and the scripture tells us that on this commandment, all the other laws and commands hang or depend. You know, if you fulfill this command to love each other as I have loved you, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbors yourself, you will fulfill every other possible command, responsibility, or expectation that God has ever laid upon the world. If we will do that, we will do all things well. Romans 12, Paul says, love one another with brotherly, filial, family, sibling, you know, family close, love each other like a family, outdo one another in showing each other honor. James, chapter, and these are in your bulletin if you're wondering, James chapter 2, James says this, if you really, if you really fulfill the royal law that is according to the scripture, you will love your neighbor as yourselves. He says, then you are doing well. The royal law, the law of King Jesus, this is my commandment, right? The royal law of Jesus says if you really fulfill the royal law, if you really fulfill it, then you are doing well. Then you will hear your master say, well done, good and faithful servant. If you are really fulfilling the law, the command, the law of King Jesus. I want to talk to us this morning about this command. I want to talk about what it looks like. I think there's a lot of confusion about that. And I want to talk about the power to love, the command to love, and what love looks like, and the power to love. Right? Because the command is given here, it's given again and again. It's always interesting to me that the scripture commands something like love. Because the definitions in the world today, you can't command what the world thinks of as love. You can't command me to have a feeling. That's why I fell into love. It wasn't I wasn't fulfilling any command or any being obedient. I just 
It just happened to me. And then I fell out of love. Right? It just, it just happened to me. It's not something you can command. You can't even command me to keep it. You can't even command me to, you know. So how does he command? He commands love to us. And really, he does it in this text anyway as another application of the metaphor of the vine and the branches. Right? You see, we're back into that whole passage where Jesus has been talking about what that means. Jesus is the vine and we are the branches and he's telling us that you derive your spiritual lives by abiding in me, by fresh supplies of grace and the fullness of the Holy Spirit and uh, of, of my mercy and my love meeting you in your life. He says, and apart from that flow, apart from deriving your spiritual life from me, apart from me, you can do nothing. All right, and then Jesus has been emphasizing in all of this our union with him. Our connection with him is the vine. But as he comes out of the passage here, he begins to apply it, and he actually makes a little shift, right? He shifts focus from the command to abide in him so that we'll bear much fruit to the actual fruit bearing. And so he shifts focus from abiding in him, being connected to him, and he speaks of the intimate and powerful relationship that exists between us as branches, right? Isn't that what this text is about? As I've loved you, as I've connected you to me as your vine, as the source of your life, as I have saved you and grafted you into my life and I'm pouring my life into your life, as I have loved you now, now there's a relationship that's formed among you as my many branches, the recipients of this flow of life, there's a relationship that exists between you, a relationship. The greatest bonds of love the universe can know. And that's why if you love one another, the world will know that you are my disciples. They will be blown away at the difference in the nature and the power of the love that we share and experience in Christ. So he says we are connected together in the greatest bonds of love because we are connected to Jesus. We're not independent anymore. The Bible says this again and again, the New Testament, and probably six different metaphors. You know, I pulled a couple of them out here. Romans chapter 12 in your bulletin says, though you are many, you are one body in Christ. Though you might be hands and feet and legs and arms, but you're, you're many parts, but you're one body. How? In Christ. Because you're connected to him, you're connected to each other. The hand and the arm can't exist apart from each other. I picked the one from 1 Corinthians 10 because we're going to share communion this morning. And Paul picks up in that, that context, he's talking about the church gathering for communion. And he says, because there is one bread, one loaf, which is Christ, this is my body broken for you. Because there is one loaf, he says, and we who are many are one body. Why? Because we all partake of that one bread. We all feed on Christ. We're all plugged into the vine. right? We all derive our life from Him. So it's a shared life. Many branches, one vine. Many bricks, one building. Many children, one father. We're brothers and sisters. And so by every natural and every spiritual law, we are bound together, he says, in this call, this experience of a greater love. God's love, His love, real love. No matter what your race is, your socioeconomic status, your education levels, 
their differences from me or from each other in doctrine and theology. They're members, the scripture tells us, of one another. And the commandment comes to us by whatever stripe or color or stream. The commandment comes to us. Love each other. So far, so good. How many believers, even with the most cursory reading of the New Testament, would agree with that wholeheartedly? Of course we're to love one another. This is not a new commandment. In fact, at some point Jesus says, give you a new commandment. It's not really a new commandment. It's an old commandment. We, we know this in some ways. So far, so good. But, but what does this love look like? See, the problem isn't in, in the understanding that the command is there. The, the problem isn't in even you know, applauding the idea of love. We all, in a sense, affirm and approve and applaud the idea. That's not the problem. The problem is living it, experiencing it, being it, doing it. So it's not such an obvious question when we say, what does love look like? Because we live in a world that has got it so confused. that unless you stop even paying attention and unlearn the things that you're being taught every single day on TV and all around you, you know, you're going to get it all wrong. Because the Bible flies in the face of God, flies in the face of the world. If you have, you know, you, if your friendship is with the world, you know, he says, how can, you, how can the love of God be in you? We live in a world that waters down the most powerful force in the universe until it is something soft and silly. It has no strength to endure, to not fail, right? To be all those things that the scripture says that it is. It's emptied of its immense power. It's sentimentalized and reduced to a shallow, self-centered emotion. The Bible says it is selfless, it is giving, it is sacrificing, it is outgoing power, right? Selfless, giving, sacrificing, outgoing power that transforms lives and transforms a world. Where, where the world, the culture that we live in has turned it on its head and reduced it to a shallow, self-centered idea. Love is how you make me feel. I mean, isn't this the language of those who said, I fell in love and you know, to that I fell out of love or I don't love you anymore. Uh, and the whole I don't love you anymore, this, because the idea centers around this as you hear people talk about it. They said basically uh, when we met or when we first became acquainted, I felt a certain way. I felt great. I was elated. I was, you know, zinging with it. You know, I felt you made me feel a certain way. And I love that feeling. And that feeling is my love for you. But you know what? You're not doing it for me anymore. Right? So I'm not zinging. You're not making me zing the way I used to. Right? You're not, you know, you're not, you're not making me feel a certain way. And therefore, I must have fallen out of love with you. In other words, you're not doing it for me anymore. You know, you're not producing that feeling in me anymore. See how self-centered, self-serving, self-aggrandizing that whole notion is. It's all about what I'm getting out of it and what I'm what you're making me feel and experience and giving to me, and when I don't experience or feel that anymore, love fails. Because in the end, as it was in the beginning, it was all about me. That's not love. I mean, I lost that loving feeling. Now it's gone, gone, gone. 
whoa, whoa. Right? I would sing it if I could. Emotion can be a really important part of love. But do not make the drastic and deadly mistake of reducing love to a feeling which come and go with the rising and setting of the sun and the changing of circumstances and all those kind of things. Love, let me define it for you, just a simple way. I've seen it in many different places. Love is actually a radical and sacrificial commitment to the good of another person. Love has to be centered on the other. How can love, biblical, godly, Christ-like love, be anything but centered on the other person, their good, We were still sinners. He died for us. For our good. To save us. To enrich us. Right? This is why at a wedding, you know, I was reading, I'm reading a book on marriage and love by uh, Tim Keller called The Meaning of Marriage. Most excellent book. And he's talking about how sometimes these days as he does weddings, the young people come to him and they they, uh, want to write their own vows. And he's like, it's a really tricky prospect. Because a lot of times when young people go to write vows, they are saturated in the music culture of our day. And so the vows sound a lot like the silly, sappy, soft, I love you so much, I want to be with you. Um, You know, all these very present ideas of my present experience of love and what you're doing for me kind of stuff. Or the traditional Christian vows that you take when you stand and vow to each other. Notice they are all not about present love. They are vowing a future love. Because they're not vowing an emotion. They're vowing a set of behaviors, a posture toward the other person. You know, I vow to love you, that is, to cherish you and to honor you and to serve you and respect you in every circumstance, for when it's bad, when it's good, when, it's, when we're rich, when we're poor, when we're sick, when we're healthy, it doesn't matter what circumstance comes. I am going to have a posture toward you, you and your good till we die. You're not vowing an emotion. I don't know, I'm 49 years old. I've been married 25 and a half years. And if you're looking to live to, for your marriage to survive on that loving feeling, whoa, whoa, you are in for big serious trouble. I made a vow before God and before all these friends and family were gathered here today in the presence of God and of all these witnesses to make a vow, a covenant, to covenant our love, not our feeling, but a set of behaviors and postures toward each other till we die. That's strong stuff. That's not weak and silly, right? That is That's something that can transform lives and change a world. And I have postured myself this way. What does love look like? Jesus says in verse 12, love one another as I have loved you. Jesus' love nailed him to the cross. Have you experienced God's love for you? sacrificial, blood spilling before the foundations of the world, a lamb given in your place, taking your place, taking your punishment while you were still sinners, he died for you 
and he loves you and he picks you up and he connects you to himself and he pours his life into you as a vine into a branch. You know the love of God. This is the greater love. This is real, biblical, godly love, not self-centered. It's life-laying-down love. It's the kind of love we vow when we get married. And he says, love each other as I've loved you. Here's the great love. Here's the greater love than, than the world is tossing around and playing with. To lay down your life for your friends. To lay down our lives. Now, when we think of this, Jesus died on the cross. We know, lay down our lives for each other. Jesus did that. He, he died. He literally died. He spilled his blood to save us. And so we think of this love, no greater love than this, that if I have the opportunity, you know, if somebody came in here and threw the grenade down front, that I would jump on it, right? No greater love is this, and I would die for you. Or if we were leaving here and a car was speeding through the parking lot and I jumped in and pushed you out of the way and the car took me out instead. No greater love than for me to, to in one single uh, great moment, I would give myself for you. My friends, it is unlikely to come to that. I, I hope that if it did, I would. But it's unlikely, isn't it? Or in your marriage, it's unlikely that it's going to come to you physically, literally dying for your spouse. Or for us in this church, as we are a family together, brothers and sisters, it's very unlikely, and I hope we never have to literally lay down our lives for each other. But this is a standing command that it seems, and gee, I'm going to want us to see that it's a com standing command and responsibility that we're to be about every day to love like this. Well, fortunately, John doesn't leave us guessing what does Jesus mean, right? Here he records Jesus's command. In his letters, he's often applying the command. If you read 1 John, it's a letter about love. And he applies the command. And there in your bulletin, way down to the second point, 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 to 18, Jesus, John says this, clearly with this teaching of Jesus in his mind, by this we know love, he laid down his life for us. So, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. John, bring us out of the clouds. Right? Bring us out of that single grand gesture of love that I do once and done kind of thing. Right? And what does he say? If anyone has the world's goods and he sees his brother in need and he closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide there? Where is it? Where is it? When we are not meeting each other's needs, where is it? Where is it when you know what the need is and you don't meet it? When you know what your spouse needs from you, but you won't give it to them? When we hold back and we stay selfish? If anyone has what the other needs and closes his heart. Little children, he says. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, little children of one big family, let's not love in word and talk. Let's not talk a good game. He says, let's love in deed and in truth. Real, costly deeds of love. Sounds a little bit like Romans 12. We are living sacrifices. But he doesn't want your dying necessarily, the physical dying. He do, he's done that. 
What he's looking for, therefore, is living sacrifices. People that will live and die every day. Live and die for each other. Live and lay down their lives. Well, because he's warning us against the generic niceness. Against talk. Against words. Right? The danger is to applaud the idea of love, but to empty of its power, and to harbor a heart of indifference in so many contexts. And the sheep and the goats, when Jesus is describing the sheep versus the goats, and it's interesting on the list of the sheep, if you follow what John is saying here, what he is saying is sheep are marked by love. In other words, they saw the practical need, they had the world's goods, they saw their brother in need, and they didn't close their heart, and they met it. Jesus says, when I was hungry, you fed me. Right When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. When I was sick, you came and you visited me. When I was in prison, you visited me. In other words, you had what I needed. You had the world's goods. You had the ability to, to do something, and you did. It cost to yourself. This is why Jesus says, I always, you know, again, we, we read these things up in the cloud. This is why Jesus says, if anyone, if anyone wants to come after me, this is how it has to be done. You're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to take up your cross daily. So it's not a once and done thing, is it? <laughs> right? To take up the cross and die in some way to follow Jesus. You know, yeah, I did that 10 years ago. You know, I prayed that prayer. No, he's saying, if you want to come after me, there's this denying of the self and the taking up of the cross lay, that is laying down your life daily. Again and again and again. To love like that. You know, in some ways it would be so much easier if I could just throw myself on a grenade. Right? It's less costly. It's a once and done. I just got to work it up and do it once. But if I got to love you tomorrow and I got to love you the next day, I got to deny myself again and I got to die to myself again. If I got to take up the cross and lay down my life to make sure that your needs are met. Friends, we have to get beyond protecting ourselves. We live in a culture that's all about our rights. I love America. Sometimes I think, you know, this whole, I got rights, man. I'm fighting for my rights. You know, I, I, I have rights. Jesus says, lay your life down. Lay your rights down. And give yourself away. While they're still sinners, die for them. Love your enemies. See, if love doesn't do this, I'm afraid that what John is saying in 1 John, I'm afraid if our love doesn't do this, I'm afraid it's just words and it's just talk. That it's not real. That the love of God isn't really here. Isn't that what he said? How can the love of God abide call comes. Someone needs help moving. We need to provide meals. Somebody is sick. Somebody has need. They're in the hospital. They need to be visited. They're, they're home and bound in and they need to be visited. And Somebody's out of work and, and, and they need extra help to get through the hard time. And the list goes on of all the different ways. There's work to be done and, and who will do it? 
So Isaiah would cry out, here am I, send me. Who will do it? Because to say yes, you need to understand, and that's what Jesus is saying, to say yes will cost you something. Will it not? Willing to give up your desires to fulfill the desire of another. Willing to give up this world's good, your material possessions to meet the needs of another. Willing to give up time, the world's most precious commodity, to be there, to give it away. How do we lay down our lives like this without begrudging it, without just giving in, without it just being an act? 1 Peter 1, it's there, the last thing under number 2. Peter calls us to a sincere brotherly love, to love one another earnestly and from a pure heart, to really love each other, (laughs) really, sincerely, actually love each other. There's only one way, and Jesus tells it to us in this passage, and he leads with it, right? He leads with it. This is my commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. I have loved you. I have loved you to death. The power to lay down our lives for others is found in the gospel. It's found in in the love of Christ for us. The love of God for us that lifts us up and lifts us out and, and unites us to the vine where we draw fresh supplies of grace, fresh flow of his life into ours, fresh hope and mercy, fresh everything that we need to be what he calls us to be and to do, the the fullness of his spirit. He purchased your soul with a sacrificial love while you were still his enemies. He poured out his lifeblood. He laid down his life. And if you belong to Jesus, it's because he loved you to death. And he paid the price to enrich you. To save you. So 2 Corinthians 8, 9, there in your bulletin, he says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, though he had this other world's goods, so to speak, he denied himself and he laid it down, his life, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become enriched. And part of the riches is the experience of this love that transforms our hearts into loving, greater loving hearts. Jesus was rich and he impoverished himself. He denied himself. He was at the Father's side and he left his home. He was comfortable, but he took up the cross. Philippians 2, 5 says this, Have this mind among yourselves which was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God something to be grasped and held onto, but he emptied himself the form of a servant. He humbled himself, became obedient even to the point of dying for us, even death on a cross. He was full of glory, but he emptied himself. He was exalted in power, but he humbled himself. He was equal to God, but he shed his blood. Why? Because that's what love does. Because that's what love is. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved his church and gave himself for her. 
See, the cross of Christ is not just a pattern and an example of love, but it is also then the power, the transforming power of love. Jesus says, abide in me. We talk about how the, the fruit of abiding in Christ is the fullness of the Spirit. And I said that it's one of those other things that we put up in the clouds. Where does the fullness of the Spirit come from? I want it. I need it. Where do I get it? I believe when we abide in Christ, in his word, and in prayer, as we spend time with him, as we commune with him, as we love him, and as we worship with him, him, and as we abide in his love for us, in that relationship, we are filled with his spirit. What? The joy and the strength and the freedom that come from being with Jesus, which is the empowerment to love like that. The first fruit of the spirit is love joy. If you wonder what that's what that means, and again, put feet on that love. All right, the first root is love. It's a funny feeling. No, it's patience and it's kindness and it's goodness and it's gentleness. It's faithfulness. It's self-discipline and self-sacrifice. It keeps no record of wrongs. It, it's not proud. Right? Just think about that. If those commands, and Paul, Paul says in Romans, First uh, Corinthians 13, love is patient and kind. It keeps no record of wrongs and it is not arrogant. Just think of our marriages. If we just loved like that at home, it keeps no record of wrongs. And it's not arrogant, but it's kind. And it's patient. And it doesn't fail. Because it is rooted in the very love of God himself. Close with this passage then just out of Ephesians, uh, Philippians 2. I just read 5 to 8, have this mind that Jesus had. Right before it, he says this in verses 1 to 5. He says, brothers and sisters, if, is, is there any encouragement in Christ? Is there any comfort from his love that you've experienced? Is there any participation in, in his spirit, any fullness of the spirit that you know, any affection and sympathy? Has the love of Christ touched you, moved you in any way? Well, if so, then complete my joy. My passion for you is the people and children of God. Complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love. Again, Paul, don't leave us hanging with this goofy, silly, soft feeling. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Look, look not only to your own interests, but look for their interests. Lay down your life and love other people practically, sacrificially, daily, taking up your cross. Do you see what Paul is saying? Right? Do you, have you experienced the encouragement that comes from being in Christ? I mean, do you not read about it, but have you known it yourself? Is there any encouragement being in Christ, any comfort from the love of Christ? Is there any experience of God's spirit, participation in the spirit? Then love, then love like Jesus, love like your lover. Alexander McLaren says that that love received in our hearts will conquer, and it alone will conquer our selfishness. Selfishness is the greatest barrier to love. It is the opposite. Hate is not the opposite of love. Selfishness is the opposite of love. Will you ask God to conquer your selfishness? 
to mold your heart into the likeness of his greater love? Will you steep yourself in the vast dimensions, the height and width and depths of the love of God for you so that love would be the first fruit of his spirit that comes in its fullness in your life? Will you love not in word, not with talk? Will you love in deed? Will you love in truth? Pray with me. Father in heaven, we come this morning confessing that we are weak in our love. And too often we have bought into the silly, soft ideas that float around us. And we would long to experience the greater love that you have shown to us. And not only shown to us, but poured into our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Would you remake us and remold us to the image of your love that we would love really sacrificially, daily, laying down our lives so that the world will know that we are yours. Have mercy on us, O Lord, and once again renew the pouring of your love by the power of your spirit. We ask in Jesus' name.